0: You're listening to Creating the Perfect Experience, a podcast all about events, featuring conversations with creative professionals at the top of their game. We are sharing hot takes, tips and tricks for designing and producing memorable moments for commercial, nonprofit and media organizations. Here's your host, Mark Testa, founder and creative director of Mark Steven Agency. Today, I'm honored to be speaking with a true expert in experiential design, Colin Cowie. Colin has produced unforgettable luxury events throughout the world. His clients include Oprah, Ryan Seacrest, Jennifer Lopez. Colin is a leader in service excellence and author of 11 books, including his latest book, The Gold Standard. Welcome, Colin.
1: Good morning, Mark. Happy to be with you today.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate you doing this. You have a fascinating life. And like I was telling you earlier, we briefly worked together about 20 years ago, and I've always followed your career and and just the quality that you, you bring to the table and events in general. So you have a new book out, The Gold Standard, which I think should be read by pretty much anybody in the service. It
1: tells me someone's taking notes.
0: No, I'm taking notes, and I think anybody should. I used to work at Traveler, and that was my introduction to luxury, be honest with you, uh, at the Four Seasons and Ritz-Carlton. So it just brought a lot of this stuff back. And I'll be honest with you, I actually pulled out my uh, note cards because in your book you mentioned write a note, and I've had them in a cabinet for years. And I'm like, you know what, let me pull these out and start writing notes to people just just as a basic thank you or just a recognition of... of what people?
1: I think it's, it's, it's one thing today that allows you to stand out in the crowd because no one writes thank you notes. No one writes handwritten notes anymore. No one will take a nice paper cutting and put it in an envelope and send it to someone. Those are the things that stand out.
0: When I read it, I was like, well, that makes complete sense. You know, it's so much better than an email. Everybody can just do an email. But you write that note if you can find their address and they're not on Zoom all the time. It makes all the difference. So take me through a little bit. I know where you started where you got to New York. So take me back prior to that. And I was more fascinated with the fact that you had an early start in the South African army, which impacted your career also.
1: And I was uh, I was drafted into the South African military, and this was certainly no walk in the park. It was uh, tough based on the Israeli military, and it was sink or swim or survive. Clearly, I survived. And I was either going to be drafted to be a gunner or a mechanic or a driver three things that i'm clearly not so i faked a fabulous epileptic seizure landed up in the sick bay got involved with the medics and that was my ticket for the next two years and i actually turned out, turned out having an incredible time i made myself very useful i made myself very productive and i figured I can learn all these things and I'll use them later in life. And I learned survival skills. I delivered 13 babies. Um, Wow. Amongst other things. I haven't done it since then. I'll fly with helicopters due to casualty evacuations. It was an extraordinary time. And, you know, came back and then I realized I really didn't believe in the South African political system. I didn't believe in apartheid. It was the height of apartheid in the mid 80s. And I didn't think there was a future in that country. So I packed my bags, I had $400, one well-fitted suit, an omnipresent suntan, and big dreams, and I headed off to Los Angeles. And uh, it was amazing because you know, within six weeks of being there, i found a catering company that I was working with. And in those days, I chopped, sliced, diced, and had a look all around and figured out how they were doing it. And then someone asked me to do a small party for them. And literally six weeks later, I knew, the, I knew who the uh, who the rental company was, where to get the flowers, where to do everything. I was with one main band. And then I started to grow and to build up this fabulous business, which has become what it is today.
0: Which is truly amazing. I, too, started in catering. And I think if somebody comes from the food service, I think they have a leg up when it comes to doing events.
1: It's not easy. It's very difficult. And today, the bar is here. The standard right. is here. Yeah.
0: Well, that's because you raised the bar, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: all areas, and whatever you smell, touch, taste, see, or hear, how do we find and achieve excellence in them? Right.
0: Exactly. Across the board. So what made you come to New York?
1: I was, to be very honest with you, I was very tired of working with celebrities. I spent 13 years there. Their time was always more important than mine. They needed to get things for free. I didn't think it was a good barter system at all. And I really wasn't interested in Hollywood. I was interested in a much bigger, more... Satisfying life and everything being rolled around movies and television. So I left Los Angeles and I came to New York, and my world literally lit up. Really. In the same third year I was discovered by Sheka Moza from Qatar. I started wow. doing this' huge amount of work in the Middle east, twenty five million dollars weddings, going from weddings people didn't want to pay the money for to all of a sudden. And the- <laughs> in Los Angeles, a client said, Can't you put the v plastic in the ceiling and light it to look like silk? And Park government said, We want China silk everywhere, right? Uh, and then the Middle East was another whole story, and the world started to open up, right? This was a time when there was no infrastructure there, so they relied upon the West to do these events, right? And doing massive, massive, massive events, hiring five 747 jumbo jets just to fly on my equipment. It was insane time, business. while that was happening. I started to get quite a lot of publicity from all the celebrity work. Right. And as a result of that, a little magazine called Insta came along. Yeah. And to be part of the very first issue. So um, I worked at Insta for maybe 10, 12 years. Then came the first TV show on We Network. Yeah. I started contributing towards uh, the early show and then the Today show. And then I had a show on Home Shopping Network. And then I had my own show for seven years. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the network. so there was a lot going on, and it's just you know, it hasn't stopped it just keeps on going and growing
0: right, and you you've done that so well. I was always jealous because i i like I said, we have some mutual friends and and I had a few people that would would have traveled with you to the Middle East. I'm like to me, it was another world. I'm like what you're you're flying out to take measurements what what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I was like, well, that's the best way to do it if you you, you can't take somebody's <coughs> word for it, you might as well go. So, I know you have a lot of influences, you know, and, and like I said, you've gone from the South African army, your background in South Africa, Hollywood, New York, the Middle East. Today, what influences you the most? Or why, what would you say are some of your big influences?
1: A lot of it is travel. You know, I've traveled 16 million miles around the world in search of the very finest and the very best for my clients. Um, and at the same time, inspiring myself every inch along the way. And I still try to do that because I find that, unfortunately, because of Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest, the world of event design has become completely homogenized. It has. All of a sudden, somebody does a great party, and the next minute we see those same linens or we see that same shape on five continents True. and it's going to the stage it doesn't matter where I go in the world and I travel extensively, I'm seeing the same stuff all the time. So inspiration doesn't come from where the normal channels come from, which is basically, I think we are only very inspired by one another. And I think to see what one another are doing on platforms like Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram, it does influence and it does influence everyone. Right. So, I try to kind of stay away from trend. You know, somebody Smart. asked me yesterday to do a podcast on trends. I said, I don't do trends because by the time the pictures are printed, right, the it's trends over. are coming
0: off. Right. Right? It's over. We right.
1: don't today this. Is today, if you're that insecure that you need to use a trend, then find a better designer to work with. Because I think that the trend is you, it's your DNA. It's your event, it's your wedding, your personality should shine through. It's about the two of you making a joint statement of style or launching a product for that matter. So I think it should always be true to your DNA versus something that was inspired by someone else or the top 10. These are the new top 10 pros or these five knew this or those six knew that. So I tend to steer away from trends completely.
0: Well, you also set the trends too. So, you know, <laughs> your stuff ends up on a lot of image boards that I've seen, but you've always been there first before anybody else. And I, I agree. Like I said, I worked at Conde Nast Travel, and that was one of my big learnings when I traveled the world. And it opens up a whole nother experience that you're not going to get on Pinterest or Instagram or any of that.
1: I think that at the end of the day, we're looking for authentic. Right, You can recreate anything anywhere in the world. But the moment you put the word authentic in front of it, it stands out in the crowd. It's unique. You kind of recreate this just anywhere with a handful of ingredients.
0: Right. For sure. You know, like I said, when I was at Traveler, we we had to like work with the different countries and actually do designs and work using whatever they have in their country that was unique to them. And that was always a challenge and fun. So you've done so many things. This is probably going to be a tough one. What do you think is one of the most memorable events or projects that you've worked on and why?
1: It's usually the next one, because that's kind of where my head is focused, right? And that is what I'm most excited about, because there's no future in the past. We've done it already. You know, the future gives us great pictures and great memories, I mean, I've worked on some extraordinary events in yeah. over the years. ago. It, you know, uh, the era Parents' wedding to Qatar was like insane on a whole different level. Oprah Winfrey's Legends Ball, when she right. honored 20 Living Legends and the 40 Up and Coming Legends, you know. My personal wedding in South Africa, one of the greatest, Very nice. That I did, you know. uh, but I'm really excited about the things that are ahead of us. And I'm launching a, a restaurant and a private club at 100 uh, on the 100th floor at Central Park Tower on Billionaire's Row in New York City. Nice. In so, two weeks' time. So it's been incredible to build and come up with the culinary idea where instead of one chef, I've got three two-star Michelin chefs providing content with people from their kitchens executing the food for me to create a very unique product where every 90 days, the menu changes, and the season changes with it. So it's wow. kind of fun to start work, you know, working on all these interesting things, I'm working on safari lodges and, and, and a hotel in South Africa. And during the pandemic, I started to focus a lot on hospitality because I had these brilliant teams of people with me, with sure. no work coming So I, I reached out to the hospitality crowd in, in development, basically, and I found two big major clients here in South Florida, and within six weeks, I had a new office and a new home and a new income stream. And the funny thing is, as this has developed, more and more people have required my services. So now with the event business, having come back the way it is, you know, there's not enough hours in the day. I mean, I'm calling it 18-hour day lately.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's what happens when you're good. You know, uh, people, you keep busy. Like I said, I uh, there was a mutual friend and I I was talking to him who works with you, and he's like, I'm so busy. He's got so many things going on with you. So, like I said, a, a lot of this is in your book, but in a nutshell, what would you say the process that you go through to create this experience?
1: Well, I mean, that's a very, very big question. That's why I think I read about 292 words in it. You, 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 you did. the most important aspect of what we do today, because I think everyone is – we're in the business of creating bespoke luxury experiences. So if I can break it down, you know, it becomes, if it's an experience, it's an authentic experience, it's all about how I make you feel. Right. And so then that brings me to the point of what is luxury. Like we used to think that luxury came in an orange box with a brown saddle stitch ribbon from Vladimir's, or it was a blue box with a white satin ribbon from sure. Germany. It's not a product anymore. It's how it make you feel. So I think it's when you look at the senses of what you smell, touch, taste, see, and care, and how do you bring those together where they harmony with one another? That's what luxury is today. But how do we then craft this guest experience where we can take you on a character product, a beginning, a middle, and an end? Because that's how we tell stories. And at the end of the day, we are storytellers. Right. So I think for me, the whole genesis of creating experience is to be able to think about how can we do it in a proactive manner, right? In a proactive manner where we can start to anticipate the unanticipated needs of the guests and the clients. That's really the genesis of what I wrote about. It's how we stand out in the crowd and how do we make that emotional connection, right? So it's about using data and information that we can find and gather to craft A guest experience where you can anticipate the unanticipated need to what that guest wants, right? Right. So that's, I think, how we really create that emotional connection, and the emotional connection is the goal of why we do all this, right? Your emotionally connected person is loyal to you, right? You don't want them shopping with thousands of other people. We live and we need to stand out in a very oversaturated market. So that emotional connection, I call it actually the emotional seduction, because I use the senses, of what you smell, touch, taste, here and hear, to create that experience. Because we right. know that the emotionally connected person is loyal to you. They don't start shopping with everyone else. They're not price sensitive. They spend freely. They love receiving information for you. And the fifth and most important one is they love to talk about you. And there's no price you can put on that. Right. So right. that. Is the process of what I do to create an experience. And then the other thing I do is I think it's very important to get feedback. I'm constantly always wanting to know how are we doing. People don't like to get criticism from other people. People don't like to hear what they could be doing better. People think that they know what they're doing. You never know what you're doing until you get the right feedback from the end user, who's your client, who's the person who's paying for these services. So every Tuesday, we do a SWOT analysis of every party and every event that we've done. We sit in the office and we figure out what were the strengths of that event, right? What were the weaknesses? What were the great opportunities we had? And who were the threats? What threatened us and our success in that? We do that with every single event. And it allows Mm -hmm. us to make sure that we are always monitoring what we're doing and not drinking the Mm Kool-Aid and thinking what we're doing is right. Uh, your customer tells you exactly how well you're doing. They just go shopping elsewhere if you're not doing a great job. So it's how do we keep it today? Because this, I'm sure you agree with me. We don't need another wedding plan. We, <laughs> we don't need another piece of technology or another restaurant for that matter. Uh, it's how do we stand out in a very, very crowded space. Interesting. I
0: what I thought was interesting reading the book was um... – you address i don't want to say failure but you've addressed things when they didn't go well which i thought was interesting i'm assuming everything you do goes well but i know we all know better and and how you manage it i think is is hugely important can you describe how you manage uh, somebody who's not happy or how to uh,
1: put it in perspective okay you always use the analogy of surfing right when you're surfing on a surfboard you're busy taking pictures, you're checking on your style, you're having a great time, and you're cruising along. Right? You're getting by, you're doing what you're supposed to do. And the moment you fall off that surfboard and you're in the trough of water and you're paddling and you're trying to get back on that board and get up again, that's when you learn your hardest and your most sincere lessons. Uh, sure. So we embrace those ideas. And like I said, I went to the university of whatever it takes. And I got my PhD in Knox and falls. Uh, I've weathered many storms. You know, 2008, the financial crash, the pandemic. Right. Somehow, each one of them made me learn, made me humble, made me become a better version of myself. You know, when I think back now on the pandemic, it was a tragedy. Many people lost their lives. Many people's lives were disrupted. Many things changed. Right. But if you really look in the dark, you will find light. Right. Right. And I found a lot of light out of the pandemic. I learned how to run a better business. I learned how to do more with less. I learned how to be way, way more efficient. And so many things I learned. I thought maybe I should have learned this 10 years ago. It's a big button for all of us.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we definitely...
1: And that's why I think failure is important because we learn when we fail. Right? Right. And it's not only about failure, it's also then about recovery. Because when things go wrong, and we're in the service industry, right? I had an incident the other day when I worked with a top, top, top caterer, and it wasn't up to, up to power, and they charged me a fortune. And a week later, I still haven't gotten the apology, right? So mm-hmm. It's sitting in my mind. Sure. So when something goes wrong like that, the most important thing that you do, right, is you assume responsibility. When someone's outraged and upset about something, you said, "I am sorry." Those two words are the two most powerful words joined together. They diffuse the situation. They allow you to take control of the situation, and then you need to fix the situation and tell the client, "I'll get back to you at four o'clock this afternoon." You set your alarm for three thirty and make sure that all your ducks are lined up, and you've got a really good answer for that client. Because at that time, it's not important who's right or who's wrong. What's important is how we recover. Right, The client is happy again. We can go back and then we can look into see what went wrong here and how can we come up with new protocols to prevent this from happening again or to hold someone accountable for why it happened. Right. So we learn a lot during failure because failure allows us to take a negative situation and turn it into a positive situation. It also gives us the tools we need to prevent it from doing again if we look into it. That's the
0: important part. What's interesting is that very few people will apologize for for things. They'll blame it on other people. And I I commend you for doing that. And I I think anybody should be able to learn from that. Even if it's not your fault or somebody in your team, you as owner has to take responsibility for that. One of the reasons we started this podcast was kind of teaching or helping new people coming up and what they can learn in the process and interviewing various creatives like yourself. But I think you have everything in this book. So I'm going to leave that off the table and tell anybody to go get the gold standard, which pretty much anybody in the service industry should get. If you work at a restaurant, a hotel, anything, just get it.
1: It's interesting. i called the book, The Gold Standard. Right? Because it is the gold standard that we all want to reach and spine for. And the subtitle in the book is Giving Your Customers What They Didn't Know They Wanted.
0: Right, I love that.
1: Maybe while, the, while the book is really about customer service, it's really about what you need to do in your business to be able to deliver and to offer customer service and to offer the gold standard of customer service. As so many people said, you know, how long did it take you to write the book? What is it was like two years to get everything on paper." But this 37 years of contact. Right, your whole it. career. right? If you think about it, between the pandemic and where we are now, our worlds and our lives have changed completely. Some of our products have changed. Our vocabulary has changed. So there's no better time to brush up on your vision statement, your mission statement, your guiding principles. Are they really accurate? You know, are you putting your best foot forward uh, in, to stand out in a crowded space? Is your website loading really quickly? Right. Uh, do you have your galleries updated on a regular basis? Are you really presenting the best version of yourself? And why corporate culture is so important? Because it's the, it's the fuel of what gives us the passion to stand out. And I've always said, that you know, a lot of passion will, in your organization breeds culture, mm-hmm. which allows you to have those staff members who are in the office before you get in the office who are there in the evening after you leave, right? And to go the extra mile. And I think today as we live and work more in a virtual place, what are some of the things that you can do to keep the culture rich in the company? We don't sit in offices like we used to. We spread all over the country. Right. So we do fun things like pass the baton. Right? Someone in the company every two weeks passes the baton to somebody else. Okay? And that person, and tell them why they've set them up for success. So it allows us to spread the love in the company. If we're doing a big event and I've had a we've worked for, them for nine months, I'll send my producer to go and buy a dress and a new pair of shoes. Just an allowance for that. Right. I bring the glam squad in to make sure that all my girls look wonderful. It doesn't cost me much money, but they walk out to the floor and they represent me with confidence and with style. Right. So it's like how do we feed our companies and our people to make sure that they feel valued and included and participatory? particularly in this world that we're living in that is so virtual.
0: Right. Yeah, that's all that makes uh, all the difference. And what I find is interesting, you know, reading the book was they don't all need to be huge things. It's the small little things that make all the difference. You know, like we were talking about the note cards makes you stand out in a crowd. We're actually going back to some of the stuff that we're doing before makes all the difference. Somebody receives a note from you or a small gift or or also in your book, if a client comes to your office, you know, find the right flowers that they like.
1: I remember being in the pandemic thinking, no one's having parties right now, but at some stage, this is going to turn around and they're going to have to have parties. So I went to my biggest and my best clients and I made jigsaw puzzles of their best the scenes of their events. So they had something to do as a family. We sent playlists and we sent galleries of pictures. We stayed in front of people doing things that cost very, very little money. But the moment things came back and the phone rang, they were the first people to pick up the phone.
0: Because you were top of mind and you were with them throughout the whole time. So that gets me to my next question. You work with a lot of different types of people. You have celebrities, you have royals. What advice would you give a client working with you to set him or her up for success?
1: I think transparency is very important. Be upfront 100% with the client. What it is that you're looking for. What is it that you're willing to pay? And then also look at the chemistry between you. Does it work? Does it not work? It's very important. Not everybody's meant to work with everyone. Right. I fire at least one client a year that we're just not wired to work together. And right. for me, it's not just about the money that's going to my bank account. I have to look it up for my team. If I'm having an issue with them and they're behaving towards the business owner like this, imagine how they're going to treat my staff. Right. So, at the same time, so basically the answer is, as you're interviewing me, I'm interviewing you. Okay. And you think that you sit in the Trump card you decide whether to hire me or not. I also am deciding, am I going to work with you? Am I not going to work with you? So it really is a two-way street. And I think that is how we go about figuring out how do you prevent yourself from getting to that situation where it's like one mess after the next mess, and that tends to happen because our work brings out the best and the worst of everyone. It sure if, does. You're dealing with money, you're dealing with logistics, you're dealing with expectations. And if it starts bad, it only gets worse. Right. So that's how we set you up or not set you up with success.
0: Right. And I think, too, you know, as these events get further down the line, the stress level goes up. And then you can see how people really act. Like you said, if they're difficult from the beginning, it'll just snowball from there. And I commend you. I don't work in a lot of uh, private events, uh, more corporate stuff, but you deal with individuals and their individual money and emotions so i commend you on that the
1: same thing in corporate. we just did the opening of a massive massive big hotel and i was dealing with a new cmo and i had to pull her aside and said you know what i figured it out you're doing your best you're new to the job here you're trying to prove to everyone how tough you are okay work with me not against me i'll show them just exactly how tough you're not right it's a, it's a two-way street.
0: So you actually took them aside and, and actually told them that?
1: I said, you know, you may not speak to my people like this under okay. no circumstances. And you may not make requests like this under no circumstances. And I've now asked to be copied on every single email so I can monitor what's going on.
0: Really? Wow. That's impressive. So you've started the hospitality group as your next thing that you're really uh, focusing on?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that happened because of the pandemic, and I've always been doing it, but I never got to do it. I never took the time to make a website and, and, and create a vision, a statement, a guiding principles and say, this is what we do. Right? Right. And it's been exciting, and it's, it's not like so much the next thing. It's a current thing, Right, right. It's not going to go away. And I think at the end of the day, all these businesses kind of work well right. together. Right, they, they all complement. Yes, exactly. Well, this, like I'm going to become a rocket scientist. Really <laughs>
0: <another one>. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You do what you do well. So this has all been amazing. Like I said, uh, anybody listening, definitely go get the gold standard, giving your customers what they didn't know they want, which I think is a great subtitle. Colin, how would people follow you who don't necessarily follow you right now?
1: In Instagram at Colin Cowie Lifestyle or Instagram at Colin Cowie. Facebook, Colin Cowie Lifestyle. Colin Cowie are probably the easiest place to do it across our website is constantly updated with great information on a regular basis.
0: Right. And definitely tons of inspiration there too. Well, thank you, Colin. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Creating the Perfect Experience. To get in touch and learn more, visit markstephenagency.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, let us know by leaving us a review or posting about us on social media. We love to see it. Until next time.